I will tell you, there are some weekends more than ever, more than others, why I'm just so humbled uh, to be among you, uh, to be a part of your worship, our worship. And uh, this is another one of those mornings where I'm just kind of sometimes I just go wow. And so I just want to say thank you uh, for all the many ways you serve and all the many things you do to make your church so special. Those that are online that are traveling, but you're dialed in, or those that are homebound, uh, true worth. Man, the relationship we have is just incredible. So humbled that you would allow us to be a part of your spiritual journey. we got folks in the sanctuary. You're worshiping over there. Uh, you like it over there, but also to make room in here uh, for other people. And just, just awesome. And so just need to say that thank you. I love you. Just, just needed to say that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to find the book of Colossians. Open to Colossians. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we're going to do verse by verse. We're doing Bible study. We're in the third week of a message series. We're calling Colossians Rethink. We're rethinking how to look at it. It's during the summertime. If you're a guest, during the summertime, we go a little bit deeper uh, in some of our interpretation, how we read the Scriptures. And this is one of those mornings uh, we're having the Bible in your hands. You may find it beneficial. Also notice in your message notes there, when you take them out, you want to put that little survey thing aside. We'll deal with it at the end of worship. Just forget about it, please. Just, just kind of put it aside. But in your worship notes, it has Jesus is. Then it's got a lot of blank space. So this morning, you're going to be challenged to think about what you think and believe about Jesus. And as stuff comes to the surface, I want to invite you just to write down, write down, write down everything you can think of that you're learning what you believe about who Jesus is. And so then we got some spots for a few fill in the blanks. So I'm going to go ahead and read in our text. It's a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to warn you. It's a mouthful. It's kind of overwhelming. Uh, but I'm just going to read the whole thing at first, and then we'll try to we'll do some verse by verse. So Colossians 1, beginning at verse 15, we'll read down through verse 23. Here we go. The Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And this is the gospel, that you heard it and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, a disclaimer on the front end. Here's what I know. I'm making you a promise. This is guaranteed. It's already proven true. Three times, the fourth time, I know it will still be true. 
in spite of all of the study I have done in prayer, in spite of all the preparation in prayer, in spite of all the reflection in prayer, and in spite of all the extra prayer, I know this message is not going to fully hit the mark. I know that. I know it's going to fall short. It's not going to meet the standard of where it needs to go. I already know this. I am warning you. Because we are trying to speak of what the Scripture calls the supremacy of Christ. We're talking about people who are humans, who are finite, trying to understand that which is infinite. Human finitude trying to grasp divine infinitude, and it's impossible. And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful and so powerful, that almighty, all-knowing, omnipotent God, the gospel of the cosmos, would come to earth to draw near to you and me to dwell in you and me, to move into the neighborhood. God, Almighty God, has moved into the neighborhood. He's moved into Burleson, moved into Crowley, moved into Joshua, moved into Cleburne, moved into Mansfield, moved into Godley, moved into Fort Worth, you name it. God, Almighty, has moved into the most forsaken places on earth, and that means even Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Almighty God. And, and I will tell you, in spite of the supremacy, in spite of all of our efforts to intellectualize this text, to understand this text, this text is big, this text is huge. In fact, in fact all of our ability to sermonize, rationalize, all those eyes, it all comes down to this. It really does. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We love God because he loved us first. And we don't even know how to love each other until we know what it really means to receive God's love. And this text right here that Paul writes to the church of Colossians, it is a theological gift. I mean, it is an artistic masterpiece, and it's so big and so huge, you're going to have to work really hard to comprehend any of it at all, because I will tell you, all week long, I worked hard, I prayed hard, I studied and worked and prayed, and it's still blowing my mind. I'm still learning new stuff, so you've got to put in some effort, okay? You, if you're going to grasp anything out of this message, you've got to do some work, not just sit there and listen. And I want to remind you that effort does not mean earning. God is opposed to earning. God loves effort. But you don't have to earn anything. God freely gives you his love. It's a gift. And so this is my prayer. So God, I pray even before we dig in verse by verse here, God, I pray, God, that more than just allowing us to expand our minds, our theology, to understand more, comprehend that which is uncomprehendable, more than a mind-bender, God, that you would allow someone to experience your nearness. That they would sense the touch of your heart touching their heart. 
And I pray, God, that someone who would go from not believing to believing. And someone who would move from believing to following. And someone would become truly a disciple. Sold out to Jesus. Because of this text and our understanding of it. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting at verse 1. We're going to work our way through it best we can. Verse 15. The Son, the Son, Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, when I get to fly commercially, I have a favorite place I like to sit. I'm sure that's true of many of you, that when you fly on the plane, there's a favorite place where you want to sit. And I'm not talking about behind the curtain of the Holy of Holies. You know where the nuts are warm? And you get the little towels and all the thing. I'm talking about where where people like me, the peons sit, back there in the back. You know, where there's three rows and many of them. And you probably have a favorite place you like to sit, and I do too. And my favorite place is, I don't care, front or back, but it's by a window. I want to be by the window. Now, I do know that can be a little inconvenient when a long flight and Mother Nature kind of, you know, and you got to, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, two or three times, you know, that's a little bad. But other than that, I don't care. I'm going to be by the window because as you ascend, it's the only place on the plane, as you ascend 1,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, 35,000 feet, that you figure out how small. This past May, or I guess the June by the time we came back, we took our little family uh, trip to Disney. It was a trip to hell and back. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, Pastor, did you take your family to hell? Yeah, but I brought them back, right? Yeah. Uh, I just, there's more to that some other time. But on the way back, I actually got a window seat. I didn't have one there. I got a window seat. And, and the flight attendant came by. I'm at my window seat and said, uh, Mr. Rowan, uh, would you like to sit? In an aisle seat, you know, we have someone like to sit by the window. I said, no, this is my ticket and this is my seat. I want to sit by the window because I know when I sit by the window, I'm going to be reminded of how big God is, how huge God is. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae with passion and with focus and with such depth and integrity because they've lost sight of that. And they're buying into all this false teaching. you got to remember, this is an early time in church history. The church of Colossae is being born. Then you got the church in Philippi and Galatia and Laodicea, a bunch of baby Christians. And they did not have what you and I would call the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, because most of them were Gentiles. Pagans, they would say. And so here they are, these baby Christians, and they're getting attacked and challenged with criticism and skepticism about Jesus and who Jesus is and and what he's all about. And so he's combating some of this stuff in this text. And here's two of the the false teachings there in your notes, down down toward the bottom of your page. Here's the first one. It's called docetism. And docetism is the belief that Jesus was fully divine, but he was not fully human. That's docetism. That means that on the cross, Jesus, if he was fully divine, 
He didn't experience any human emotion, no hunger, no thirst, no sadness, no physical pain whatsoever because he was divine only. And you and I both know as we read the scriptures that is totally not true. Fully God, but fully human because he experienced all those things. Now the opposite of that was also even more prevalent here in the book of Col- in the city of Colossae in this little church. And that was Ebionism. And that's just the opposite. That's the belief that Jesus was fully human, but not fully divine. He wasn't the Son of God. He wasn't God incarnate. But yes, fully human. Now, I would say in this church, True Worth Online Sanctuary, in this room right here, there are many of us here who hear my voice and see me at this time. You fit this category in some ways. You do, and you don't even realize it. Because you've embraced Jesus as a good guy. You've embraced him as a good teacher. You look at the scripture, oh, yeah, he's a pretty good teacher. Uh, he was, man, he was, he was a friend of people, yeah. Uh, he must have been a political revolutionary leader, all that. Some of you might even say that Jesus, he's my dude. He, he's my best friend. He is my homie. He is my guy. But you do not embrace him fully as the Son of God, as God incarnate, as the image, as the icon of the invisible God. And they didn't hear in Colossae because Caesar's on the throne. If you were here in week one of this series, you know he said, I am the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And they'll go, yeah, well, if that's the divine, if Caesar, if Augustus is divine, Tiberius is divine, well, Jesus, he's human. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, uh, Jesus is not just some nice guy from Nazareth. He is the Son. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Now, some of you in this room need to hear this. Sanctuary, true words are, you need to hear this. Because sometimes when you're talking about Jesus to people and you're trying to help people understand who Jesus is, you say, hey, man, this guy Jesus, uh, uh, he's just like you. Uh, he's, uh, he is your dude. He is your homie. Uh, he's your homeboy, right? He's in your entourage. He's in your posse. He's right there. And all those metaphors are great metaphors, and they're, they're true. But if that's where you stop, if you're so focused in our culture on the humanity of Jesus and best friend theology, you are missing out on the fullness, the supremacy of who Jesus is, God in the flesh. God incarnate. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. What does all mean in the Greek? It means all, everything, everything you can see, everything, everything. And that's not just what you can see in Burleson and not just what you can see in Crowley and not just what you can see in Fort Worth or Dallas or Texas or the United States or planet Earth, but even everything in the cosmos. Look what it says. All things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. I want you to go to a time in your life trying to think of a moment where you realize, you had a fleeting moment of realizing how small you are and how big planet Earth is. 
Do you have a moment like that? I've had a privilege, many privileges in my life of going traveling on mission. And I've gone to Myanmar. I've been to South Korea. I've been to Ethiopia uh, several times. I've been to Nicaragua. I've been to Mexico. I've had the privilege of going to Budapest. I've had the privilege of going to Israel. I've had the privilege in the great United States of America traveling all the way up to the northeast to the further south southwest and up and down both coasts and visit many different cities, in between Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis, even Las Vegas. God was there, believe it or not. <laughs> All these places. And when I go to these places, I'm not a souvenir by a person. I know a lot of you go and you buy a T-shirt from here. and so that's, that's not my, I have my souvenir in my head. And what I do is I go for a long run as often as I can. I go for a long run to places where the tourists don't go so I can see the beauty and the diversity of all that God has created all over this earth. It is gigantic and beautiful and intricate and detailed, so exquisite. This past year, it might have been the year before, my wife Dallas, she heard about this and finagled me when she got me one. She got me a free pass for the rest of my life. It's because I'm old. They don't expect me to live very much longer. For the rest of my life, a free pass to national parks, all the national parks. Anybody else in here get, get one of those? Sorry. <laughs> I got one. And here's the deal. You can take up to six people with you. Be nice to me. <laughs> be nice to me. There's another reason to be nice to me. And I, on my bucket list, on my bucket list is take this this free pass and to go to the Grand Canyon. I've never been. I've heard about people who've gone to the Grand Some of you, I've seen your photos. On I want to go. And I want to stand on the very edge, the very edge of the canyon, as close as I can get without taking a selfie. I've heard what happens if you do that. <laughs> I'm not taking these. No cameras, no pictures. I just, I just want to feel how small I really am and how big. Back in 1997, there was a movie put out called Contact, starring Jodie Foster, ironically, who was an atheist. But in this movie, she was an aspiring astronomer, and the scene opens with her laying in bed, and in her mind, she is seeing the creation and the universe, and it starts off, you can see her home, then it expands out, and you see her community, then you see her state, then you see the United States, and then you see the world, and then it keeps on going exponentially until you're outer space, and just the infinitude, infinity of the cosmos. It's incredible. I suspect no one here in this room, except some of the young ones, some of the young ones, you might, you will go on vacation in a rocket ship, some of you young ones, but older, probably not, into outer space for vacation one day. But to those who won't, let me help you a little bit. Get this in perspective. The sun is huge. The sun is huge. It's 864,000 miles in diameter. You could put 1.3 million Earths in the sun. Don't be too impressed. In the galaxy, there are many suns, gigantic stars, huge. There's a sun called the Bellagius. It's so huge, you can put 160 million suns inside of it. The world, our galaxy, the cosmos, it is huge. And God, God created it all. He's bigger 
created things in him, heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. Pastor, really? Thrones? Authorities? Rulers? You mean government? They were created by him? Even this corrupt, toxic, political situation that we have in our own current government? God created even stuff corrupt? Really? He authored stuff that's broken? Really? Is that true? Here's what I'm reading. It says very clearly in Scripture. Thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Nothing has been created, broken, you, any broken people in the house, any broken people, true words in the same, any broken people in the house. God has created you, any broken systems. Yes, God has created those systems. Here's the deal. What's the problem? How did it happen? In God's divine love for you, he has given you and me something called free will. And because of our propensity for sin and depravity and being selfish and being self-focused and pride and ego and thinking your little family and thinking your little business and your little town and your little world and your little government and your little politics revolves all around you. It's created this mess that all of us have in our families, in our marriages, in our communities, and even in our nation and in our world. And that's exactly what's going on here in Colossians. Week one, Augustus on the throne, broken government. The people are going, ah, oh, and God, you created that? And he's saying, listen, guys, as bad as it all is, you need to know Jesus is still in control. He's in control. And it's all going to turn out okay. But here's the temptation if you're someone who believes that and you buy into that. Here's the temptation in your message notes. It's a false teaching called fatalism. And here's what fatalism says. That if Jesus is in control and everything's going to turn out okay, then I just will do nothing or I will do whatever I want. And the Apostle Paul says, no, God left heaven and came to earth in the form of Jesus to invite you into a partnership to usher in the kingdom of God. To partner and help bring the kingdom of God to earth. What God is doing in heaven to be doing it on earth. And he's counting on you and me to be a part of that. Here's what I believe and here's what I hope. That Jesus existed before anything existed. He was born in the flesh. He grew up. He died upon this cross. They killed him. He was raised from the dead by God's almighty loving power. He ascended into heaven, and he's coming back. He's coming back to make everything that was holy and good in the first place and restore it back to the one who created it in the beginning. And he invites you and me to get off the sideline and be on the winning team. To be a part of the one who is eternal, who is forever, whose kingdom will never end and never fall. That's the invitation. He goes on. He is before all things. 
and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, verse 18. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Jesus is the head of the church, not just this church, not the church over there, not the church down the street, not the churches on the other side of our 35, not up in Dallas, not around the world. He is the head of the the one church. He is the senior pastor of all senior pastors. He is the cornerstone that holds the church together. Without him, there is no church. He is Lord. He is in charge, period. Now, I'm about to say something. Some of you are going to go, oh, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't buy that. I can't believe my pastor said this. Well, be clear. I love the church. I love this church. I'm humble. You allow me to serve in the role you let me to be. I love Pathway Church. But the world does not need a bunch more churches. The world doesn't really need Pathway Church. What it needs is the gospel. It needs the good news of Jesus. That is an understanding of the great reconciling love that God has for his people foremost and foremost right in front of their vision and mission. The world just doesn't need a bunch of other churches. Who cares? People need to know how much they are loved by God through his son. He goes on. He's the head of the body. He's in charge of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might be supreme. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all. What does all mean? All of his fullness dwell in him. Can your mind comprehend God? God, this, this infinitude God Put all of himself in this human body, in this flesh and blood. Let that sink in. Can you comprehend that? All of that in a human being. God, God in Jesus leaves heaven. <laughs> the infinitude, the authority, the perfection, the power, the beauty, the perf- everything. He leaves it, puts on flesh and blood to come down to earth to be a small little person like you and me. You talk about downward mobility. That's what I call downsizing. (laughs) But I would suggest that many of us in this room, we don't like that idea too much of downsizing. We don't like downward mobility because you and I are part of a brainwashed capitalistic system. And I'm a capitalist. I don't mind telling you I'm a capitalist. And the capitalist says you upgrade, you upgrade, you promote, you go to the next level and the next level and the next level. And you get a bigger car and a nicer car and a faster phone and the quicker software, and it gets the coolest, and the best, and the gadget. Upgrade, 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 upgrade. Who does downward? That's, put that in your life plan as a goal, to get as low as you can. <laughs> Who does that? God. I recall right out of, out of high school, I had this experience, 
And some of you can relate, oh yeah, oh yeah. Out of high school, I had no place to live. I was homeless. True worth for a little while for some of my brothers and sisters over there. I know how you felt because my parents moved and I was going to college and two months later and I had no place to live. I cannot fathom living a life where that's, ah. So for a little while, I kind of had that experience. And a family in our church said, hey, listen, uh, won't you come live with us for the summer until you move into your dorm? I said, well, I can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to be gone the first two weeks of the summer. Come on, you, the house is yours. I said, really? Yeah. Gave me a key. I said, correct. Gave me the address. So I show up. And family's going on vacation. I put the key in the door. And first of all, I'm a little intimidated because this is like Beverly Hills in Wichita Falls. Okay? Kind of get the picture. Beverly Hills and Wichita Falls. I mean, it's the postures of the postures, most exclusive neighborhoods that you can be in in there. And so I'm putting the key in, and the key won't work very well. And all of a sudden, this woman opens the door. It scares me. I think it's a burglar inviting me in or something. But it's the maid. And she says, oh, Mr. Oh, yeah, yes, come, come on to me. I'm the maid, and I'm going to cook for you two or three times this week. <laughs> Score! Bachelor, I mean, fra- I mean, my, oh, you're awesome. So I'm in the house, and this house is just incredible. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's just, I'm just kind of overwhelmed by the house. And she leaves later on, and the house is so incredible, and they have these slick, like, marble floors all over the place. And so I did what every, you know, 18-year-old bachelor kid would do at that sort of age. I just stripped down to my boxers and let my socks on and just danced and slid with the music high all over that floor. It was amazing. I had my own party, just me, me, me and God. It was just amazing. And they had a, they had a cement pond. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to tell you what I did, but they had a cement pond out. It was just, it was amazing. No fish were in it either. It was just, it was just oh, I couldn't believe that. And the next morning, somebody rang the doorbell, and this guy came all dressed up in the suit and said, uh, Mr. Owens? said, yeah, yes. Rick, you know, I'm your driver. I'm here to take you to get your car. The Ashbrooks have arranged for you to have for the week while they're gone. I'm going, oh, yeah, baby. Can you say upward mobility? I mean, I never had life so good. And that's what we all aspire to is to have that sort of experience. And yet God, who had everything at his disposal, leaves it all comes here to show you and me the way, to love us on the way, and to be the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And sometimes, church, we just don't get the enormity of what God did. It goes on. For God was pleased that all his fullness dwelled in him and through him, to re- verse 20, to reconcile himself to all things, things on earth, things on heaven, by making peace through his blood still on the cross. Once you were an alien from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy. I mean, without blemish, free from accusation. Stop right there. Stop right there. Now, this is not good news. <laughs> Who wants to hear this? Hey, listen, dude, you used to be an enemy of God. You were awful. You were hated. You were an alien. You were an orphan. You were an outcast. You were marginalized. You had no place. You didn't belong. That is not good news. But the gospel doesn't end there. The good news is that through the cross, God has reconciled you. And he says, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. You're my heir. 
You're part of my family, and all that I have is yours. It's yours. It's all yours. I think some of us take that for granted. And we take that for granted because we don't understand just how far away we were from God before Jesus did what he did on the cross. Let me give you just a quick little understanding of this, really quick, really quick. It's that when Dallas and I first got married, is that we had, like everybody else, trying to figure out, we've been married 40 years now, of how, who's going to do what in the house, right? Who's going to cook? Who's going to clean? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And part of it was who's going to do the dishes. And uh, I, I grew up since four years of age doing dishes. And I said, I'm not doing any more dishes. I just don't want to do any more dishes. She said, well, you got to do the dishes. I said, I'll do them every two weeks. <laughs> Let that sink in. That didn't work very well. It was a challenge in our relationship. I will just tell you. Now, today, if you come to our house, I flipped. I will wash your dishes before you get finished eating. I want them done immediately. <laughs> I want it clean all the time. My job was to vacuum. I was kind of just, I was going to do the vacuuming. And she said, honey, you got to vacuum two or three times a week. And I think, well, I think at least maybe once a week is enough. I mean, I said, why do you have to clean it if you can't see it? Can I get an amen from somebody? I mean, from some guy or something like that. I mean, well, you got to clean it. And so I'll say, okay, every once in a while, until this all changed when we had our first baby. And we had our first baby. And I thought, oh, we got to get these floors clean. We got to get this carpet clean. And so we bring a professional person in. And they had a real vacuum cleaner. You know, the kind that has the long tube and the big power thing that suck it? And ours, you couldn't see the dirt when it came up. But this thing, you could actually see the dirt through the tube. And they're cleaning our floor. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. This crumbs and dirt and glass and rocks and stickers and boogers and feces and all this sort of thing. I'm going, holy mackerel, who could have thought that much stuff would be in? And I will tell you, you're welcome to come to our house. We love to have people at our house. We will vacuum our floor before you come, and we will vacuum it after you leave. Because I know how dirty and messy and sinful and broken human beings can be. And here's the point. If you could just get a glimpse, a small picture of how far away you were in your brokenness and in your sinfulness. And what God did on the cross, you would be amazed and you would sing amazing grace so much differently than amazing. You would sing it with. I think some of us sing amazing grace like you deserve it, like you're entitled to it. You're entitled to nothing. It is his grace. Here's how I'm going to close this up. And then we've got to do this survey. I know what happened. Stay with me here. Please work with me. Please stay with me. I'm just going to tell you what verse 23 says. We're going to bring this to a close here. Verse 23, uh, what, what he's saying here is that, listen, Colossian church, I want to encourage you. I want you to hold on to the gospel of the supremacy of Jesus, fully divine, fully human, all of it. I want you to hold on to that. But if you're going to hold on to the gospel, you've got to let go of some stuff. You've got to let some stuff go. Some of these false beliefs, these false ideas, you've got to let them go. You've got to hold on to him, let go of some other stuff. And here's my explanation of this. Years ago, I came across this documentary about monkey hunters. And these monkey hunters, it's, not, it's kind of cruel, some of it is. I will just tell you, because it was for research purposes. And they would go into uh, Western Africa, 
excuse me, Eastern Africa, and that's still geographic, and they would get all these coconuts, and they would drill a small little hole, parcel through the coconut, and take all the, the stuff out of the coconut, and they would pour in the coconut this sweet fermented rice, and they would pour it all in there. Then they would go hang these hundreds of coconuts up in the trees of the jungle. Then they would go and hide and wait for the monkeys to come out. And so the monkey would slowly start to come out, and you can see this on a video. They, they start coming out. And they start looking around because the monkeys were smart. And they knew they were trying to trap them. They had a sense. They could smell. And, but before you know it, they're off to the races to go get the fermented rice. And they're climbing the trees. And they get to the coconut. And they try to put their hand in. And the only way to put their hand in is to curl it and shrink it to push it down through the tiny hole. And when they get into the coconut, they grab hold of the fermented rice. And they try to pull out their fist and it won't come out. It won't come out. And when I'm watching this, I found myself emotionally connected, and I'm, I'm talking to the screen. Monkey, let go of the rice. Monkey, they're going to kill you. Let go of the rice. But they don't. Because they value the sweet rice more than they value their freedom. And I'm going to suggest lovingly, there's some people who can hear my voice right now. That you hold on to the things of this world so tightly. And you don't realize that you're a slave. It's killing you. It's tearing up your marriage. It's tearing up your soul. And the only way you're going to have freedom is to let go of some stuff and grab hold of the gospel of Jesus. But to do that, you're going to have to let go of some stuff. Now, this brings us to our survey because there's lots of people in the world. Can you bring this up here for me? Nathan, would you please have this survey? If you're a guest here, you don't have to do this. True worth, I want to invite you to do this best you can. If you call this your church home, this is the way for you to learn something about us if you're a guest. And I'm going to sit here for a couple of minutes, and I'm going to turn my back because this is about our vision and mission. So many people in the world who are not free. We, we know in Christ they can be free. So we are thinking in the fall that we may be prepared to expanding our campus. And we partnered with a company named Oxano. You see at the top of the page, they came with this survey to help us assess, are we ready? Are we ready to take another step forward toward the greater vision? So if you have one of these, one per household, confidential, no names, only emphasize, no names, very quickly walk you through this, very quickly. You'll see the first five or six things, and I'm going to face you a little bit, but I'm going to kind of be looking down so I'm not looking at you. I don't want anyone to feel pressure. There is no pressure. I'm looking down. I'm not looking at you. So how long have you been attending Pathway? Just anybody, just kind of quickly, just check that. Uh, which worship service do you usually attend? Just, okay, that's easy. This is demographics. They, this are helping us assess who we are, who worships here. How often do you attend? That's easy, number three. Uh, one per household. How, how, how involved are you in Pathway? A uh, small group, attend a class, serve on a team. Just quick, quick, check, check, check. Hey, watch your age. Ladies, we promise not to give out this information to anyone. Uh, so no one don't worry about the age thing. It, it's confidential. It's going there. What is your age? Are we hitting our, our target who we're trying to reach? And what ministries? Do you have children or grandchildren? Number six. Just real quickly. Okay, I got, 
none. Children's student. I'm turning the page to number seven. This slows down just a little bit. Tree Worth Sanctuary. If you're online, you can download this. And someone, if you're watching online, uh, they're communicating with you on how you can access this information. Uh, you're helping us. You're helping us have feedback. Number seven is, what's important in your church? Not important? A lot important. You get to judge. You get to say, is it not important or very important? Worship music. Teaching and preaching. Notice I'm looking down. I can't tell you're all putting one, so I can't tell that. So just kind of put whatever you need to put there. We want honest feedback. We want to know the truth. Staff leadership, it's important to you or it's not important. Fit in the middle somewhere. Just whatever you want. Facilities, our property, the building. Does that make a difference to you at all? Children's and student ministries, small groups, our birthday gift to Jesus. Is that something that's still important to you? It's a value you have, or is it something that's kind of old? You don't think it, I mean, this is confidential feedback that's going to help us know where we are. Then the mission, two questions about our mission. Glorify God, sharing the love and grace of Jesus. How important, how committed are you to that? I mean, you've heard it if you've been here for a while. And if you've not been here for a while, this is a way to learn some things about Pathway. Okay, you don't have to be doing this. It's, it's, it's no problem. Or are you extremely committed? And the other, next is, give us some feedback. In your opinion, how are we doing on reaching the mission? Are we accomplishing it? Are we effective? Are we not effective? What is your, what is your perspective on that? Now, 10, 11, and 12, 14, uh, I, I know this, this is very basic stuff. This is not intended to be invasive. But this is to give our consultants to help us. Are we ready in the fall for some sort of campaign to expand our facility to meet some of the needs that we have, which we'll cover quickly here in a moment. So, do you support Pathway financially? Only people going to know this is Oxano. No names. Do not put a name on there, please. No names. Approximately so, what, what percentage would that be? Then I'm at 12. Over the past year, has that increased or decreased? That's a very simple thing. Kind of compare. Kind of have, what, what's your sense about that? One per household. And 13, if you've been around here for a while especially, uh, is our teaching about finances, is that helping you? About giving and tithing and spiritual discipline, does it bother you? It's impacted you? It's not impacted you? It's strong? It's bad? Just whatever there. And then 14, Pathway Church, where do we fit? As you think about your generosity and what you do in the world, is, are we at the top of the list, the bottom of the list, in the middle of the list? Where are we? You know, where does that work? And again, that will help our consultants. Now, here's why I really want your feedback. I need this here, and I can't wait to what they put together. Some of you received a letter from me about a case for support. If you were to print it off, it would look like this. It's front and back about our mission and our vision that's coming up. And if you don't have one of these, you can pick one up at the Welcome Center. Take it home with you because what's happening next is based on that. Please rate how well that was communicated. Did it connect or did it not connect? Is it clear? Was it not clear? If you've seen it, if you've read it. And here's number 16. Here's where we feel like God is leading us. And we need to know what you think. We believe we got to reclaim the art for our growing student ministry. Our students are coming through the doors in droves, and we've lost this building to be just worship. We want to reclaim it for our kids. And do you believe that? Support that? Yes or no? That means relocating this worship time and all ARC worship to a new worship and event center, which we will construct. That's why we're doing this right here. Do you think we're ready and equipped to do that? 
What's your opinion? You like that idea? You don't? Support it? But it's really all about the youth. Expand parking? We believe in having the H-E-B parking and Trader Joe's building. That's kind of where we see ourselves heading. So you kind of support that? Don't? A space for training for our students, for our, for our servants. If you're serving here, you know the limited space, the little quarters for serving. About developing high-capacity leaders, we're going to put a focus on developing leaders, not just for Pathway, but for the community. You support that, you don't support it. And the other, that last thing, really, enhancing relationships in our community, that's about our building becoming an event center, a community center for the community. There's no convention center in Burleson. So for Burleson, any community, any group could come in and use our facility uh, to help them further their mission in the world. Now, now we'll turn to the last part, and uh, we're almost there. Stay with me. And this is where some of you are going to go, uh, this is not a commitment. This is just helping us assess. We want to be good stewards, not take on debt we don't think we can do with anything God has possible. But we want to be smart. So the best you can with what you know, you think God would be leading you to participate financially in, in the projects that we just talked about. Yeah, I kind of think maybe we would and or not. Whatever you'd be. And then on 18, it's we think the project's gonna cost between five and seven million. Do you think we can do that? We have twelve hundred households, our budget's three point five million. So you're a business person. What does that tell you? What's possible? 19 is about how long campaign should be. More years, fewer years. Does length of time matter to you? And then Oxano believes strongly and just kind of expanding your thinking about what kind of resources God has given you that you might be open to using for if you believe that this is where God is leading us. And that last thing, again, I want to emphasize number 21. This is not a commitment, confidential. If, and this is off the cuff right now, best you could tell, a project like this, what do you think? We're talking $7 million, $6, $7 million. What do you think God might, what you might be able to do? And that last one is just anything else you want to say, any comments or questions you have. When you leave here in a second, you can just put those, you know, put them in a little basket right out there, just put it down like that. Wrapping this up, let me say this. There are a lot of monkeys out there trapped. And they don't know who Jesus is. And that's what this is all about. It's, it's all about that. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I just want you to think of somebody you know right now whose hand is in the coconut. They're stuck and they're in prison whatever that prison looks like. God, we pray for our family, our brothers and sisters, our friends who just find themselves in a bind. They're all trapped and they've not discovered how amazing is your grace and the freedom, the freedom that comes in your grace. And God, we're just seeking your wisdom and counsel here through, through your body, the, your church, God for kind of where we are. And so we pray, God, you will take all this information, God, and help us have discernment to kind of determine where we are for your church, for your future, for your sons and daughters who are far from you, who are stuck, who need to be free. So use us, God. 
however you will, to share the love and grace of Jesus with as many people as we can. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Hey, thank you for coming. If you're a guest, I would so love to meet you. If you're in the sanctuary, I'll be by the Welcome Center. I'd love to meet you too. Bye.